Bible, 2 John chapter 1, which is the only chapter in the book. So, we have here, we're going to take our text from, from this book here. In fact, we're going to read the whole book here this morning, or, or at least going to make our way through the whole book. But I want to begin here with the, the greeting as the writer of this epistle opens up the book and he does not necessarily identify himself. It was known from the very earliest times, earliest uh, writings that this letter was from John, the same one who wrote the book of John and the book of First John. But here in this letter, he simply identifies himself as the elder. He says, I am, this is a letter from the elder. He was very known to the congregation that he was writing to. And so he writes in this very personal way. He just says, the elder, and then he identifies to whom he is writing this letter. And this is where I, I want to pick up what our, uh, what, what we want to speak on today. It says, the, the elder unto the elect lady and her children. The elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all they that have known the truth. He's writing this letter to the elect lady and her children. Amen. The elect lady and her children. Do we have, uh, if you're a mother this morning, uh, if you could just identify yourself, just raise your hands. I saw a couple of men's hands like starting to go up a little bit. I don't know what that's all about, but, and we have mothers all over this place and, and uh, it's not going to be the last time we're going to have you identify yourself this morning. We're going to honor our mothers here today, but we uh, have this mother that John is writing this letter to, and he identifies this as the elect lady, the elect lady, and, and the elect lady, this is speaking of someone who is, who is very important, somebody who is esteemed among among all the the ladies that are there this is someone who uh, when when they are looked upon they are honored because of the life that they've lived this is an individual in fact even just the word lady here in the original language is uh, is is a is a word that was reserved for uh, those that would be some that would be paired with the Lord the Lord and the lady this is not just any lady, it's not just any woman, but this is speaking of, of the esteemed one. This is speaking of someone who is important, someone who has, um, who has a, a position of honor. And he's writing this letter, he says, to the elect lady. And I believe that here today we have some elect ladies in our, in our presence, that we have many Ladies here, and it doesn't doesn't matter your age. You can, uh, whether you're young or you're old, here today that we have elect ladies. That you are special. You are uh, you are worthy of honor, and and I am so thankful for every one of our mothers, every one of the ladies that uh, that we have in our church, and all that you do, and and the the way that the way that you pour into your families, and you you love, and you. Uh, and, and we have such a wonderful children's program and all, all of our children that are in this church. And, and it wouldn't be like that without the ladies in our church, the elect lady. And he 
writes this letter, he says, to the elect lady and her children. The question is, who, who is he writing to? Who is John writing this, this letter to? It is the elect lady, and then he doesn't identify her. It's, it's uh, uh, been a somewhat of a debate for, for centuries as to the uh, intended audience, the, the original intended audience for this letter. But it is very possible that, that John, he was writing this short letter to a certain woman in the church, a certain woman, maybe, perhaps, the woman in whose house they were meeting. They, uh, at that time, they would, they didn't have church buildings like what we come in, at least uh, the, the majority of the churches at that time. They would meet from house to house. And, and oftentimes we see this, um, in some of these individuals that uh, are identified as meeting in their house, Aquila and Priscilla, these, this husband and wife whose, whose house they would meet in and in one certain city, and, and here, it's an unidentified, and if that is the case, that, that he's identifying a certain woman, but perhaps it's the woman in whose house that they met, and he's, and he's, he's writing perhaps to that person, or, or maybe, and this seems to, uh, seems to maybe be even more probable just from some of the other language that is, that is used in the letter, that it's not just one certain lady, although that could be the case, but perhaps he is just using this to identify the lady as the church. The elect lady and her children. The church and the members of the church. Now he's writing to a specific body, a specific local church body. And he's addressing this letter to to the church. You know that, that the church is identified in scripture as the bride of Christ. Right? Men, I hope that doesn't emasculate you in some way, but you are a bride today. Ladies, in this place, we are the bride. And that is, it is not to engender the church as, as one way or the other, but we are uh, we are all the bride of Christ, meaning that in relationship, there is a headship, which is Jesus Christ. He is the head of the church. And we are the body. We are, we are the, 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 the bride that is, that is coming into a marriage with, with our Lord, with Jesus Christ in the church. In fact, we see that language all throughout scripture, all throughout even in the Old Testament at times, referring to God's people as, as the bride who he will bring unto him. But um, more often in the New Testament, even Jesus himself uses this language and several parables that he uses. And, and then in Revelation, it uses this often. We see in Revelation 19, 7 and 8, where it's speaking of the bride being adorned and the, the bride, Jesus coming and and, and taking the bride to the marriage supper and and the church, we are the bride of Christ. And so and so today, I, I just want to speak for just a uh, a little while here this morning to the elect lady. And it's not just one particular lady that is in our in our presence here today, but I want to speak to the church this morning, to the elect lady. Now, this isn't you are not just anybody. You are elect. You are 
set apart. You are lifted up. You are to be honored. And in the church, God, God, when he, when he takes the church and he looks at you, he, he sees you as, as somebody who is special. He sees this, the church of, of God as a, as a special people. He looks at the elect lady. He's writing this letter, he says to the elect lady. Now, when they would write these letters, when they'd write these epistles, there was a, a, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't just to, uh, to you know, just come in and, and say, hey, how, how are you doing? And um, just wanted to uh, j- jot down a few uh, salutations and say, you know, I, I can't wait to, to be with you. Although this letter, as short as it is, um, it, it's almost what it is that he's, uh, he's just uh, at the beginning, just a, a little bit of a salutation at the end. He's saying, I'm not going to write much because I'm going to be with you soon. But still, in these few short verses, 13 verses in this second epistle of John, he goes and he has some words for the elect lady. He has some words of wisdom, some words to write to the church. And he, this is for the, uh, important words for their day. And I believe that even today, these are important words for us. And so I want to just speak this here this morning on this Mother's Day to the elect lady, some commendation from John to the church to which he was writing that is still relevant for us today on what the elect lady ought to do. Verse 2, he says, For the truth's sake, which dwelleth in us, and shall be with us forever. In fact, I'm going to back up just because that's a, to to read that full sentence. Again, it says, the elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also they that have known the truth. For the truth's sake, which dwelleth in us, and shall be with us forever. He's writing this, this letter to the church. He's writing this letter to this group of people. And whether it was to a, a certain individual or it was to uh, the, the church as a whole really doesn't matter because either way, this letter was meant for the church. God intended it to be for the church body. And so he's writing here and he says that I love you in the truth. Not only do I love you in the truth, but all those who know truth love you. And it's because of the truth. It's for the truth's sake that we love you. It's it's for the truth's sake that there is this bond that connects us. That that word truth, we we see that coming out already three times in just these opening two scriptures. And, And we see, he said it's for truth's sake. And then he points out there's two things about truth. So there's, there's two things, these matters of truth. The first is that truth dwells in us. So it's, it's the truth which, which dwelleth in us. And he says that it shall be with us forever. That there's two things. Truth, it dwells in us and truth is everlasting. So this isn't the only time that John has this emphasis on truth. We see it already uh, two times here in these opening, or three times in these opening two verses. We see it uh, come forth a couple more times in this, in this book. But even in his gospel, his gospel letter, 
where we see the other three Gospels in Matthew, we see the word truth mentioned three times in the book of Mark. We see the word truth four times in Luke, five times. And then you get to the book of John and he mentions truth 27 times. He has something. He he, He has something to say about truth. Truth matters. There's, there's something about knowing truth that mattered to John. And, and as John is, as the Lord is impressing on him to write, there was, there was something in his mind that he said, I can't shake this thing about truth. We need to make sure that we are standing for truth. We, now, it's possibly because John is the disciple who lived longer than any of the other disciples. We don't see the, we don't see the full lifespan of all the disciples in scripture, but history would tell us that, um, all of the disciples except for John were killed because of persecution at a, at a young age, relatively young age. And so, and so we see them, they'd all, they all gave their life. And in fact, they tried to kill John, but they couldn't kill John. They, they, uh, they, uh, this is from history, but they they dipped him in in uh, a vat of of oil and and tar, and they they tried to kill him in that way, and they that didn't ha- didn't work, and they they tried other means of of, of uh, torture and ways to kill John that didn't work. They finally just sent him to the Isle of Patmos, and and there's where he got his revelation. He wrote the book of Revelation, and and it was it was in that place. But at an old age, at a very old age, perhaps. Uh, in his nineties, we see John here writing these epistles to the church, and even his his gospel was written at a very late time in in the history of the church. And so, we see, perhaps by that time, we see some who have left the truth. You see those who, from the beginning, they they had heard the the teachings of Jesus Christ. We see them at the very beginning, those who had received the word from the apostles. Maybe you had many thousands that were there on the day of Pentecost and they were filled with the Holy Ghost in Acts chapter 2. You have the early day revival that, that is spreading across that, uh, that region and, and we read about it in the book of Acts and and, and they knew the truth, they received the truth and the early letters that we see it's there's, there's not as much emphasis on the truth, but as we get to John in the, the later letters, he says, remember the truth. Remember that there is, there is, there are some things that are bedrock truths that we cannot move away from. There are things that, that when you, when you understand them about Jesus, you cannot mix in the ideas of the world. With these things. Don't get off track about what Jesus came for. Don't get off track about, about what is truth. Truth does not change. He says, in fact, truth, it dwells in you. What does he mean? Truth dwells in you. Well, we'll, we'll see it as, as we see. We're gonna, I wanna go through just some of the 27 times that, that John mentions truth in his gospel, but, uh, in, in John uh, chapter 16, he's, he speaks of this, the Holy Ghost, about the Spirit being the truth that is in us. The truth, it dwells in you. You have His Spirit, you have truth 
dwelling in you. Jesus is the truth. Jesus Christ is the truth and it dwells in us. But truth, it's everlasting. It doesn't change. Right? Truth is, is steadfast. It, it, it stands and it does not change. It's not a, a, a movable truth. It's not a uh, expanding truth to begin to you know, take in all of these other philosophies and ideas. But truth is truth. And all I know is that this right here is truth. This doesn't need to be added to. It doesn't need to be taken away from. The word of God is all the truth that I need. And if I'm called foolish for not lifting up the ideas of, of man uh, and, and all the advancements of science and, and all these, these things that uh, when you pair them up against the word of God, they do not, they do not, uh, they're not congruent with the word of God. If, if, if you call me foolish or ignorant for believing this over the ideas of man, so be it. Because Peter, he was called ignorant and unlearned as well. But they said, that's because we know and we can tell that you've been with Jesus. Acts 4.13, he says, these are ignorant and unlearned men, but we know that you've been with Jesus. And that's all that I care about. It's, it's somebody, as long as they know that I've been with Jesus, as long as they know that I'm sticking to the word of God, I'm sticking to truth. I'm not going to go away from the truth. In, June, in John chapter 4, 24, we begin to see as, as John speaks on this, this word of truth and what truth really is. In John 4, 24, he says, God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. They worship him in this, this, this way that is, it's emotional in your spirit. There's, there's something that happens when you worship God, but, but the truth of really knowing him, there's, there's something so much deeper when it's, it's not just emotional, but you, you know him in truth. You know him because you've, uh, because you have, uh, a relationship that's, it's, it's founded. Your, your worship is, is, Based on a, a relationship of knowing him in truth. Real worship is done in spirit and in truth. In John 8, 32, it says that when you know the truth, the truth shall make you free. And when you know the truth, the truth will make you free. So truth, it's, this is uh, awfully important to know. What is the truth? I, I don't want to be bound today. I want to be set free. So tell me the truth. See, this word truth, it's a very, uh, we'll begin to see a very uh, encompassing term that John is using to really identify all that is to be known, all that should be known about Jesus Christ. In John 14, Verse 16, Jesus speaking here. He says, and I will pray the Father. He shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. May abide with you forever. That the comforter that Jesus is speaking of, this comforter, he says, will come and and I'm going to send that. And this is the truth and it will abide with you forever. And then... um, I think I had, I want to turn there, Jesus right. I can turn there in John chapter 14. Jesus says, I am the way, 
the truth, and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. They that come unto me, they come to me and they find truth. Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. In John 16, verse 13, it speaks of the Spirit and how the Spirit, it says, albeit he, the Spirit of truth, is come and he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear that shall he speak and he will show you the things to come. That there is something about when you receive the Holy Ghost that leads you into truth. If you listen and you walk in the Spirit, it will not lead you astray. It's never going to lead you astray when you walk in the Spirit. When you listen and, and allow the Spirit to guide you, it will guide you into all truth. John 17. John 17, verse 17. Sanctify, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. The word of God is truth. So we begin to see this, this definition or this, uh, what, what is encompassing all these things of truth. And just two verses later, he tells us what truth does. He says, sanctify, sanctify them. I'm sorry, and and for thy sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. That the truth sanctifies us. It sanctifies means uh, to to make holy, to set apart, to to turn you into a a place of a saint. To to sanctify is is this this process by which you come into a, a relationship with God and you're set apart for His purpose and you're sanctified by the truth. And so here's, here's what I say today is in Proverbs, as it says in Proverbs 23, 23, buy the truth and sell it not. Buy the truth and sell it not. Now, the great thing is you don't have to pay money for this today, but acquire the truth. Grab a hold of the truth. It does take something of you it's not just free it is it's, it may be free monetarily but but to hold on to the truth will cost you at times so buy the truth acquire the truth and don't let go of it don't let go of the truth don't let go of the knowledge of what jesus christ has done for you when you say, why, why are we talking so much about truth? Because truth, we cannot get away from what Jesus Christ has done for us. We cannot get desensitized just by going through our life and saying, you know what, that's something from the past. That's something, yes, that I've learned a while ago and now I'm just going to go and live as I want to live. No, the truth is something that we walk in daily. You walk in truth. This is something that when you are, are holding on to truth, a, a knowledge of Jesus Christ, it's not just something from the past. It's not just a, a past experience where you gave your life to God and now here you are and you just get to live whatever way that we want. It's not just a Sunday, Sunday to, you know, every Sunday that we get to come and and, and, and every once in a while, we, we come and we worship God. It's, it's not about that. Truth is something that we walk in daily. In fact, in Second John, back to Second John chapter four or chapter one, verse four, he says, "I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth, 
So we have received a commandment from the Father. It says, I, I came across some of your children, and I came across some of, some of the, the members of your body, and, and I was so excited. I, I rejoiced greatly when I saw them, and I saw that they walked in truth, that they are walking in in truth, and, and, and let that be said of us today that this is something that we continue to walk in truth, that we do not stray from the truth. Come on, what God has revealed to you, what God has convicted you of in your private prayer times, don't get away from it. Don't walk away from it. Don't let go of the things that the, that the Spirit has revealed to you. Walk in truth today. To the elect lady, this is a, a message to the elect lady that we would walk in truth. Do not do not waver in your commitment to the truth. I know, here, here's what I know. There is one Lord, there is one faith, there is one baptism, there's one God and Father of all who is above all, through all, and in you all. Come on, it's Him that I owe my life to. It's Him. He gave His life for me. And so what, who am I to try to, to try to make my own path? God, I, I want you, I want you to, to be the one that leads me and guides me. And I want to walk in truth, walk in you every day. Amen. He continues with his, with his commendations to this elect lady in verse 5. It says, now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had heard from the beginning. That we love one another. So do you, you've heard this before. This is not a new commandment that I'm bringing to you. In fact, this is not the first time that even John has spoken on the subject. But I don't know that, uh, I don't believe he's necessarily been speaking to the, the first time that he wrote to them in First John. But this goes all the way back. He says all the way back to the beginning. We can go all the way back to the writings of Moses. Not just Jesus. Jesus, Jesus focused on love. We see in the ministry of Jesus that he focused on love, but this preceded Jesus. When Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, that wasn't new content coming from Jesus. That goes all the way back to Leviticus 19. Leviticus 19 tells us that thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. In fact, I'll go back to the beginning of that verse. Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people. For you shall love thy neighbor as thyself. Love your neighbor. What a principle to live by. What, a, what an important principle to have in our, in our uh, congregation, in this, in this body of Christ, that we would love one another, that we would love our neighbor, not just, not just with a, a little bit of love, but he says, love them as thyself. Give yourself for them. Give, live your life in an in a act of service for each other. This is a commandment from the Lord. We see, we see John, he writes on this a little bit more, it, uh, expands on this subject in his first letter that he wrote in 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, he, he really breaks down a little bit deeper. A, as far as what it means to love your neighbor. Verse 10 says, In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, 
Okay, that, that makes sense. We identify with that. Hopefully we don't identify with that, but we identify that, that whoever does not righteousness is not of God. But then he expands and he says, neither he that loveth not his brother. If you don't love your brother, then you are not of God. If you do not have love in your heart for your brother, your sister, your, uh, your, your the body of Christ, if you do not have love for them, how, what kind of love? This is the kind of love that I have. If you do not have love, then you are not of God. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. In verse 12, he says, Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him, because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. In other words, he says, he says just because Cain felt condemnation, or Cain made a mistake, and then he began to lash out at those around him. He says, no, 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 we can't act like that. We need to love one another. Let's have love one for another. And then just a little bit further down in verse 16, it says, hereby perceive we the love of God. So if you want to know, you know, how, how do we see this lived out? How do we see the love of God lived out? Because he laid down his life for us when there was action to it. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. What a, what a high calling. What a high expectation for us to love one another. So that as Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, he gave us the example so that we would lay down our lives for the brethren. That we as the elect lady, this letter to the elect lady, that we would understand that we must love one another to the point where I would give my life for the one who is across the room, that I would give my life for my brother and my sister. This is a a pretty high bar, but this is from the word of God. He says, he says, we must love one another to the point, to the very same degree that Jesus Christ loved us. Verse 17, continuing there. Whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? So if you see your brother in need, you see somebody else in the the body of Christ that, that needs something, and you do not have compassion on them, and how are you displaying your love? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. You see the word truth there again, truth and love interplaying with one another, but he's speaking of the fact that how often do you just hear of a need from your brother or sister and all you say is, I'll pray for you. And maybe you do, maybe you don't. You might stop a little bit. You pray for them. Uh, I, I do know many in, in here, I'm, and I'm thankful for this, that you do write that down and you pray for them, and I want you to pray. But there's also times where there's action that's needed beyond just prayer. And there's somebody that's in need, and, and God impresses on you, I've, I've blessed you. He would say, I've blessed you, and I want you with an open hand to give to them who are in need. Give to the person who's in need. And when God impresses you to do that, 
This is exactly what he's speaking of here. It's not just in word. It's not just about, I'm going to pray for you. That's God will provide. God is speaking to you in that moment and saying, I want you to provide for them. Indeed. Let's let the love live, be lived out in action. Let's let, let's see this love for one another. Come on, be a community where we are there for each other. When somebody is in need, it's not just about the words that you say out of your mouth, but it's about the actions and how you live. This is what true love is all about. And that's really playing back to what Jesus, uh, or what we're saying with Jesus, that Jesus didn't just say, I love you. He proved it by going to the cross. It wasn't just a ministry of, of him preaching and saying, I love you, I love you, I love you. And in fact, I will do anything for you. No, he says, I came to this world to bear your sins on a cross. I love you enough to go through with this. And we know that this was not just some person who did not feel the pain. Jesus felt the pain. Jesus experienced the pain on the cross. He was there in the garden that night. He's praying and he's crying out. He's saying, I don't want to do this. What do you mean God didn't want to do this? What do you mean the Son of God, Jesus Christ, didn't want to do this? Well, it's because it was painful. It was, it was painful to express his complete love and devotion for those whom he loved. But he says, not my will, but your will be done. When there's times, there's times when it may be painful to, to go out of our way or to love one another, but God has called us to love one another. This is the expectation that he's, he's laying out for the elect lady. He says, love one another. And we continue. We continue going back to Second John, verse number 7. It says, for many... Deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. We don't see that word antichrist very often in the Bible. We, we see it a lot more today in our literature and uh, different writings uh, today, that word antichrist. But really, it's only mentioned, I believe, three times, um, all, in the, all in the writings of John. He's writing here, and he's, he's not speaking of the one, when we say Antichrist, we're usually, in our church culture, de- culture today, thinking of one individual who will come at the end times, and he's going to be some awful man who will deceive the world. But here, he's not just speaking of that one, but he's speaking of many who could be an Antichrist. For many deceivers are entered into the world. Who confess not that Jesus Christ has come into the flesh. That's a deceiver and an antichrist. And here he's, he's speaking against a certain uh, philosophy that had made its way into the church. At that time it was uh, known as Gnosticism or, or having knowledge, putting knowledge as, uh, as being more important than, than the word of God and, and the, the knowledge of man. And that's, well, that's still where we're living today in our world. There are many that they would put the knowledge of man. Gnosticism uh, may may not be the the term of the day, but there is uh, that, that same thing in play where people are are putting knowledge of man above Jesus Christ. And he says anybody who would put the knowledge of man above Jesus Christ is an antichrist. They're a deceiver. Don't listen to them. Many deceivers 
are entered into the world. Come on, we need to be careful whose voices you're allowing your mind to have access. You need to be careful if the voice of Antichrist, if the voice is Antichrist, then mark it as the spirit of Antichrist. If it is against Christ, if it is not speaking the message of Jesus Christ, then mark it. Do not allow it to have access to your mind. Don't allow these things to take root in your mind and and, and allow them to begin to sprout and grow some roots in there. And then you begin to question the very truth. Come on. He's speaking to the elect lady here and he's saying we need to hold the truth. One, the first part of knowing, knowing truth is you need to come together with love. And when you come together and the church is bound together in love, then the truth has some stability to it. Because you're there for one another. But the second thing is, don't let something to come into your mind and then for that from the inside to begin to take root and it begins to break up the truth that you know that you are, so that you've been founded on. Mark the things of truth. I, I heard, I was listening to a, um, pastor just this week and uh, just listened to a, to a sermon that and they, they mentioned something about a television that I couldn't uh, it, it was too good not to share he he said what is that word television you hear what do, what do you hear when you say that word television tell a vision right that's exactly what they that's exactly what's coming across through our television and there are channels that you've Flip through, and I'm not. I'm not up here today to say that uh, to tell you everybody that you have to throw away every television set in your house. But you got to be careful what you allow. The visions that are told and the things that are come through that that the channels of your television and they come into your house and you allow these things to come into your house and there are visions that Hollywood would try to tell you things about your future and things about the present that aren't that are twisted as to what God God's vision is for your life and what God's vision is for your present come on don't let the world tell a vision to you let God begin to channel something into your mind and channel something into your heart let him give you a vision come on we need to open up some channels in prayer We need to have more channels open in prayer than we do on the television screen, right? We need to open up some more channels and let God begin to speak some vision into our life. I I don't want just any old voice speaking these visions and things from my future. Let God begin to speak something into my life. Be careful of deceptive teachings. He's writing to the elect lady. Verse 8, verse 8, he that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. I'm sorry, I'm in First John chapter 3. That is not the right one. Let me flip over to this page. Chapter or verse 8 of Second John. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Don't lose the things that we have wrought. Don't lose the things that we have, have captured, the things that we have in hand, the truths that we have in hand. Look to yourselves that we lose not the things which we have wrought. Has your faith in God gotten stronger or has it gotten weaker over time? When you look right now 
Are you holding on to this precious truth of Jesus Christ with as tight of a grip as you were yesterday or last year or five years ago or ten years ago? Are you, do you have a tighter grip on it today than you have in the past? I sure hope so because right now we need to grab a hold of the truth and do not let go. Do not allow deceptive teachings, the things of the world, the ideas of man to come in and begin to loosen your grip on this. If you have wrought it, if you have, have a hold on this, do not lose those things because it's those things that are going to bring you your full reward. It's that precious truth of Jesus Christ. Verse number nine, as we come to a close here in verse number nine, it says, whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he that both, or he hath both the Father and the Son. Whosoever transgresseth this, abideth not in this Doctrine which we have been taught, this thing that has come from God, these things, as we see in, in the other writings about the truth that, that the Spirit has revealed to us and Jesus Christ revealed to us, these things which, which we know to be true. Do not let go of these things. You abide, you must abide in the doctrine, abide in this, abide in truth. So when we look to the elect lady, the elect lady is not just a mistress. The elect lady does not have wandering eyes. The elect lady does not have a heart of dissatisfaction. The elect lady is not in a part-time relationship. The elect lady is forever the bride of Christ, and she loves every moment she gets to spend with the groom. Well, if you're in that place here this morning, would you... I want to just lift up your hands all around this place. And, and I hope that we have somebody here today who would say, Lord, I'm going to buy the truth. Lord, today as the elect lady in the children of God, Lord, I am not going to let go of this message. Come on, there's some mothers here today. There's somebody here today who you've got to do this for your family. There's somebody today that because your children are coming up under you and you are still raising them in your household, if you let go just a bit, come on, it's going to affect not just you, but the next generation. And maybe it's your grandchildren and they've seen you walk in truth and I don't want to waver now come on we don't want to waver now come on maybe you today you don't have children but you have those who are still looking up to you and we love one another and we're here for one another as the body of Christ and so I am going to hold the truth I'm going to stick to truth because I have somebody else that is accountable that I'm accountable to I have somebody else that's accountable to me come on we need to hold on to the truth Oh, if you want to stand, you can stand just right now. I want to just have a moment right now. Lord Jesus, we love you. God, I thank you, Lord, for the truth. God, I thank you, God, that you gave your life for me. Lord, I pray that there would be somebody, Lord Jesus, that would get this deep down inside. Lord, get a hunger and a thirst, God, for the things of truth. God, let us, Lord, not just be something that we get on Sundays, but Lord, let us get a hunger for your word, a desire for your word, so that truth God could be revealed to us Lord let us walk in truth God let us know you for you are truth God let us worship in spirit and in truth God let us God know come on the truth for the truth shall make us free God we are walking in truth today let us not lose our grip let us not get off the path hallelujah Jesus Lord we love you 
thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And you. 